back to a country first conversation. Today we will talk to Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn on his courage to stand for truth and his heroic actions on January 6th to protect the U.S. Capitol as violent rioters tried to reverse the 2020 election results. Remember to visit our website, countryfirst.com, and share our podcast with others. Thanks for joining, and here's our host, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Well, welcome everyone. We've got a, a new Country First conversation that I'm pretty pretty excited about. We have uh, Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. Uh, those of you that watched the, and a lot of people watched it, the uh, testimony in front of the January 6th commission, uh, Harry was big, tall dude. And uh, he, uh, you know, did a great job talking about, you know, some of the insults hurled at him and, you know, and just what that day was like. And I want to talk to him a little bit about that. And, you know, he talks about some of the horrible things he experienced. And, but Harry, you know, your story and those of your officers, the fellow officers really speaks the truth uh, to that day. And, you know, this, the whole January 6th thing, I don't think should be about politics. It should be about how we talk to each other as Americans. It should be about, you know, how we respect each other, how we do politics, how we take differences and kind of, you know, put them in that building that you work to protect to prevent violence. That's like that, you know, that steam kettle basically that holds it. But let me just uh, start by asking you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What, you know, what is it that drew you to law enforcement? How long you've been in? And and then we'll kind of get in a little of your experience that day. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I, this is a cool opportunity to talk to you and, um, and I guess the rest of the country about everything that I've experienced and everything. Um, I actually start my 14th year with uh, Capitol Police in November. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot, you know, I've seen a, a lot of big evolution of, uh, you know, the society uh, since I've been here. Um, and, and working in a building such as Capitol Hill, you get to see the politics, the the good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff. So um, I have a uh, pretty unique perspective about it. I didn't really care too much for for politics until I actually started working at the Capitol. Um, and then you kind of want to familiarize yourself with what you're, who you're working with, who you're working around. And um, like I just say, you get to see the evolution of what politics has become, where, where it's come from and where it is now. That's interesting. So why don't you, you know, I've been in 11 years now, so you've been there three years longer. Tell me about what you've seen, like, and, and maybe throw in there a little bit about, you know, how your job, you probably have opinions, but your job is, you know, to protect the most left-wing Democrat, the most right-wing Republican, all the same. Yeah. So I guess that's one of the most uh, interesting things about, you know, what I've written, witnessed and I guess a lot of the, the backlash that the down players have, um, have said about this. And, you know, people were saying, well, what about the the summer riots all over the city with BLM and stuff. And like, I'll make it clear, any violence is not acceptable. Riots for any cause, like the violence and destruction, I don't condone that. I don't support that. Any officer that was hurt and, and they deserve the utmost respect and their heroes for defending their cities. So I want to make that clear. So just as the officers are heroes that defended the Capitol. So everybody tries to say, well, what about, what about, what about? Yes, those guys are heroes too. And the people that hurt them need to be held accountable. And I have no problem saying that and admitting that. I can't speak to what happened with those officers because I wasn't there. 
but I was there on January 6th. So I can speak about that. And that's why I feel so comfortable speaking about what I experienced. Um, but just to talk about the evolution of uh, what has happened and what I've seen, um, I just feel like people are more spirited, I guess is a good way to put it, in um, their views about the government. And um, whether what, no matter what party that is, that could be the left, the right, the middle, everybody's a little more passionate about how they feel. And um, I guess that can be a good thing. Uh, no matter what your view is, you have the right to express it, to express it to the people that represent you in Congress. Um, but there are ways to go about doing it. You could come up, I mean, we, I've seen hundreds of protests from, <laughs> from all imaginable topics at the Capitol, left wing, right wing, some people that just don't even know what the heck they're talking about, but they have that right to do it. And they come up and we let them do it. But once they cross the lines of what's legal and what's illegal, then no matter what your, your cause is, you have to be held accountable for it. So, Yeah, it just seems like everybody's gotten from disagreements, spirit of disagreements to like, now they hate each other. And, you know, it's like... I mean, who should our enemy be? I mean, obviously, we're not really at war. I guess terrorism, yes. Our enemy, to an extent, in competition is China. But we, I think we look at each other as the enemy now. And it's always just yeah. like, oh, you're a Democrat. You're the enemy. And by the way, on the protest, do you ever remember he was only there like a year, right, when I was elected? But the screaming underwear guy, do you ever remember him? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. He wore, like, yep. <laughs> he wore like underwear outside of his jeans. Yeah. He would yell at us. <laughs> That was like my welcome to Congress guy, by the way. Now I'm friends with, you know, some of the other protesters that are like career protesters, but yeah. screaming underwear guy just disappeared out of nowhere. But that's the thing. They do it. They do it peacefully. Like yeah. you said, you become friends with some of those guys and they express their views respectfully to you. And like you said, everything is so polarized now. Like somebody can literally put up on Twitter um, pizza or spaghetti. And if you say pizza, oh, I knew it. You're a yeah. leftist piece yeah. of crap. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like, wait a minute. I'm just... yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's everything is so polarized and politicized. And it's ridiculous that you can't even have an opinion without, as a human being, without your, your human opinion um, being skewed as uh, left or right. So, so well, let me ask you about that. So, you know, you obviously would have political opinions. You'd be, you'd be a zombie not to. But you are charged with protecting... You know, on the one hand, you know, AOC, Nancy Pelosi, on the other hand, you know, Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and all of us in between. How do you see that as, I mean, why don't you talk to, because a lot of people would, would say, man, if I was a police officer defending the Capitol, I'd, you know, I don't know, it would be hard to defend everybody equally. But why don't you talk about kind of how, how you see that and how you deal with that every day? And just like, what do you see your job as? Because obviously it's not really having a political opinion there. Yeah, so I, I I really reflect on um Sergeant Gunnell's testimony when it comes to mm. this and when he takes the oath, the oath of office and your oath to your country is bigger than your political views, your political statement. And I just see how passionate he, he is about it. And I mean it, it really hits home. Um like I said, I even said this in my in my testimony that democracy is bigger than any one person or any one party. And I like to view it as that's what I am doing. I'm protecting democracy because I believe in it. Um, whether the party that I vote for is in power or whether 
the party I didn't vote for is in power. I believe in the democratic process. Um, and I believe in um, preserving that and protecting it. So no matter what, you still have to respect the process. And like like people have always said, I respect the office of the president, not necessarily who is in there or whatever. So you, you it's bigger than any one person. And I think that's where we run into problems is when we hold people higher than the office that they're in. We hold the people higher. Um, you know, the person is just just filling that spot there will be another person before you there was a person before you and there'll be another that's person right. after you so let's not hold the person higher than the office and that's the way i look at it so that's why i have no problem doing my job and you know it's no secret that i wasn't a big fan of donald trump this it's no secret about it but every time he came to the capitol i was on i was protecting him i was making sure the perimeters were safe i was doing this i was doing that so i i did my job with no problem because like i said i view the office as what i'm you know what's what's important so yeah you know a quick aside like i I always tell people you know you have to when you're in this job you can't buy your own press you can't like believe your own press because obviously you know you're out there selling your brand talking about what you believe and the problem is at, at some time everybody's job in congress goes away you know if you're a member of congress and if you bought into all this, who you are and everybody, you know, I don't know, catering to your needs when you, when you need all of a sudden, I have seen so many people that leave Congress that are completely lost because they had bought their identity. Their identity became the job of Congress. And I think what you're saying is really important, even for members of Congress to keep in mind is like, you're trusted with, you know, I I represent over 700,000 people. There's days I'm frustrated about it and I don't appreciate that, but for the most part, when I think about it, it's like, wow, that's pretty incredible. This job will be here when I go away and people will long forget my name. The internet's the only thing that'll probably keep that around. And that's okay. Like that's how it should be. So what made you, I want to get into a little bit about that day, but let me just start by asking you, you know, you've been outspoken and I appreciate it. What made you decide to speak out? Cause I'm sure it would have been easier just to be quiet and kind of, you know, do your thing, tell your story over a beard of people, but what made you decide to speak out? I, you know, <laughs> I've been asked that a lot and I trying to narrow it down. Cause I mean, it sounds so cliche. I just, I believe in doing what's right. And I, you know, the whole, if you see something, say something kind of thing, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that are just going to stand by and complain about how bad things are. All right, we'll do something about it. You know, I, I'm not necessarily expecting like to change the whole world or anything, but if I do my part and everybody else does their part, like a bunch of people doing the right thing together can cause a big change. So, you know, I, I don't have any motivations like saying, oh, I'm going to speak out and hope that makes somebody else speak out. I'm able to go to sleep at night saying that I feel like I did the right thing. And, you know, that's, that's just, I believe in doing the right thing. And I believe that this was right. You know? Yeah. it's awesome. I, you know, you said, you know, I know I, I'm not going to necessarily change the world. I, I think the thing is, is there's not many people in the world that alone change the world. You know, it's the thing I learned in the military is like, you know, I've been to, I went to Iraq a couple of times. I'm like, you know, if I never would have gone, the war would be in the same place it is. We, you know, but I knew I made a difference, and I think differently uh, for you guys because you may look at that and say, "Well, I'm not going to change the world necessarily by speaking out. 
I think you will, because I think in the future, if you project like 10 or 20 years, the story accurately will be told in year four, the four of you that testified, that is going to be key to that story, to the January 6th committee. And I think also it's you guys literally, I mean, a hand, there's a difference between a few of you, you know, from the whole Capitol getting sacked. And I mean, yeah. what does that do? do? Will democracy survive sacking the Capitol? Probably. But what would it do to the long-term damage you guys held? And that's what I said that day to you. And I got a little choked up because, you know, you realize you're up there. You're always talking about the negative of what happened that day. But I think it's important to remember, I mean, you guys really kicked some tail and defended that place. And you did it in the right way, you know, um, and, uh, and it was a tough day. So you got to work, I think, early that morning. Uh, not necessarily knowing how quickly everything was going to change, but you said before our committee that there was a point when it was clear to you that you were outnumbered. So elaborate how it felt for you to see DC Metro arrive on the, on the scene, but also tell us just a little bit about how that day kind of unfolded. So, well, first of all, you know, like I hats off to Metropolitan Police Department. I know a lot of times that uh, people get caught up with the brave, the quotes of brave, heroic Capitol Police officers and, you know, we we wouldn't have been successful that day without Metropolitan Police. You know, those guys hats off to their commanders, to those frontline officers, and they they to put it bluntly, they saved our ass. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they I, basically I really, rushed in, and and as you guys were able to then pull in and defend the Capitol, they tried to hold the perimeter, right? Yeah, that, that I mean, yeah, there was there were a lot of Metropolitan Police officers inside too, but it seemed like. From my perspective, that's what I noticed. That a lot of the MPD guys uh, were outside, um, holding the line. Once you know, once reinforcements came and once they had breached the Capitol, and then officers who were a little familiar with the inside of the building, the layouts. Uh, you know, if they say, "Hey, they're in Statuary Hall," like how many MPD guys actually know where that is? Like the officer, Capitol Police can run right there to it. So um, that's kind of so. I really just I got to start out with just giving them their kudos and. You know, getting to know uh, Michael Fanone and over these cu- last couple months, and just uh, you know talking to him, and just I didn't realize they had guys that were commandeered metro buses and driving down to the Capitol. Like that's insane, but that just shows their their dedication to um to doing their job. Um, and that was that's you know that's that's good to see as positive, and uh, it makes you feel good. Um. But just going into the day, like, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on. You know, like, you know, I didn't I didn't have any reason to believe that that level of violence was going to happen or going to occur that day. Um, But like I said, over the years, we've seen hundreds and thousands of groups gather um, and people gather in groups um, to protest their cause. And I had no reason to believe that this was any different than the other. I remember one of the larger protests that I was involved in uh, working, not actually working, uh, was the day that uh, Obamacare became law. It was a Saturday and there were thousands of people on both sides of the Capitol um, expressing their support and opposition against it. And I mean, there were thousands of people and there were members out in the crowd out there with them. And, you know, it was it was a lot of people, but, you know, they were arguing and yelling, but it was no violence, I guess, when it, when it ultimately came down to it. Um, so yeah, going through that day, it just, 
it was just an eerie feeling. Like as the day started progressing, you know, people started getting more and more agitated. The crowd just kept growing and growing and growing. And it seemed like there was no end in sight to, all right, that, the last group is headed here. Nah, they just kept coming and coming. Like, where are these people coming from? And um, it was just the feeling just started getting eerier and eerier. And then when they announced that those pipe bombs had been mm. found at the um, the RNC, and then a few minutes later at the DNC, I'm like, yeah, this is horrible, guys. Like, this And is that's bad. when the whole capital-wide system went off, I think, the first time. Yeah. Like I said, I, 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 have, I haven't reviewed the timelines, I'm sure, mm-hmm. like you have or anything. I just remember just being there in real time. And um, it, it just had a really bad feeling. And then once they announced on the radio that the, um, the first line had been breached it. And I didn't say first line, it was literally like a snow fence and a couple officers standing in front of it. It wasn't like it was a hardened perimeter, but um, it was still like, all right, this is bad. Like we've never had this before. Um, and all I could think about, I knew the officer that like, I heard an officer, I recognized the voice on the radio and that officer was a friend of mine. So I was like, I got to get over there. I got to get to this you could hear the panic and the, the, the frightening in that officer's voice um, that this wasn't a fire drill. You know, this was the real thing. So where were you at when you heard that? And then wh- where was he? So initially I was on the, um, the Senate steps on the yeah. east side of the Capitol. Um, and like I said, o- over that day, I was just monitoring the crowds. They were, there all morning and they continued to grow. It was like a, a, like a pep rally and they were singing the star spangled banner, you know, pledge of allegiance. And they were singing like American songs and everybody was wrapped in flags. And it just seemed like a, a, an American flag pep rally. That's what it mm-hmm. seemed like. But then once you hear that, like I said, I took, I sprinted around to the West side and that's where I was able to see the size of the crowd. Um, down there fighting with those officers. And it was just yeah, one, that's of what, the, one of those, the, the worst feeling, those worst visions that I've ever seen uh, as far as Capitol Police is uh, concerned. So. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people, and I would encourage, there's a, a New York times kind of, I think it's like a 30 minute with video and graphics and showing how all this happened. But like there's a small crowd initially on the East front, the West fronts where a lot of the pictures came, the massive breaches, but then once the East Front basically started hearing that that was the case, they started pushing in. And you realize, I mean, at that point, you're, you know, to, from the, what was it? We were soldiers, that old movie. You're in a broken arrow moment where now it's just yeah. like everything's on the line. We've got to defend this place. And you said earlier, you go, we've never had this before. I think that's a key point is you have protests. And I remember six years ago or so, I think when BL, the BLM movement got started, they had been around the perimeters. They, they, I think, moved them around a little bit, but never intended to breach them. This is, yeah, this is something unprecedented. Yeah. So I, I, I know specifically with the BLM uh, protest at the Capitol, um, and I'm speaking specifically at the Capitol because, uh, like I said, at, at down at Lafayette Square at the White House, that area, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I wasn't there, um, but at the Capitol, they surrounded the East Front behind the bike racks. They took knees. They had moments. They said they sat out there silent for like the the amount of time that uh, George Floyd was had his knee a knee on his neck. They were 
they it was called a die-in or something or mm-hmm. whatever it's called but they all sat there and they were quiet for that eight minutes or nine or whatever the time frame was um and they got up and left yeah they cussed at us a little bit you know said we're pigs and stuff like that but um there was no violence um like i said this was specifically at the capitol and I'm not, I don't want to get confused with any yeah. other location throughout the city, throughout the country. This is specifically at the Capitol. Um, and they protested and they left. And um, they cleaned up their trash afterwards, too. And they had trash bags with them, organizers. And they picked up, hey, guys, let's pick this stuff up. Let's pick up our trash. I mean, it was like, wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, well, but it's, yeah, it's not- the, the other, go ahead. No, please. No, I was just saying, but with the other ones, you, the cleanup of the Capitol took days, weeks, you know, months to repair stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Totally well, I uh, kind of going back to what you'd said earlier about, you know, people trying to equate what happened on the 6th to the riots in the summer. I, you know, I was act, I was activated with the guard to go to the riots. I went to Minneapolis, flew my plane. And, you know, yeah, they were bad. And by the time the guard got in there in force, which is when I went, you know, it was peaceful. You know, a whole area of downtown was burned down. But the difference is this. Like, it's not excusing that by any means. The difference is, in theory, you could actually burn down the entire city of Minneapolis and you wouldn't threaten democracy. And that's mm-hmm. the key difference. The key difference is an attack on the seat of government. And, um, you know, so I thought that was interesting. But let me... So one of the most powerful things in your testimony uh, that you talked about was being called obviously the most intense racial slur. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, I it, and you had said to that point, you'd never been called that in uniform. Yeah. By the way, just so, for those that don't know, Officer Dunn is a big dude. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even say like a crap. I'd call him sir if I was in any kind of a situation like that. <laughs> And, you know, to, to, to that point, you know, and maybe, maybe that's why, maybe I just got lucky, but, um, I, I didn't suffer the physical injuries that some of my coworkers did. Um, and maybe I attributed to that. Maybe I just got lucky, but, uh, I'm thankful for it. Um, but to go back to, uh, the racial slurs and, and maybe that's why, because they weren't going to hurt me, I guess, physically. And maybe they just knew that they could attack me that way because that was an attack and it made me feel like shit, you know, sorry, mm-hmm. but it just, it, it made me feel terrible. And those words were weapons and they worked, um, going throughout that day. And since I testified, actually, I had talked to an officer Friday and he shared with me that he was called the N word wow. that day. And that it, this was Friday that just passed. Um, and I was like, whoa, I didn't even, like, I didn't know. But officers have shared with me their stories about their, um, their being called racial slurs that day. And, um, and what's that like to be in uniform, you know, defending your country and be called that by supposed patriots? So like, like I said, as it happened, I didn't take it as a, a racial attack. I, I didn't see it. I just, I was just trying to, like you said, survive because let's just get out of here, guys. Let's get out of here safely. Let's, let's make sure everybody else is safe and let's just get out of here. And finally, once some order had been restored and we had a moment, and like I said, I sat down in the rotunda with one of my, one of my closest buddies and um, I just shared with everything that happened. 
And I just was like, dude, I got caught the N-word, man. Like, this is crazy. And that's where I just, defending this place, they called me the N-word, defending this place, you know. And it was just, you know, I I, I Google everything. So, you know, when I, you know, hear the stuff about the Capitol, um, who built it, all that stuff. And you see that slaves yeah. uh, and people of color built this building and, you know, to come full circle and now I'm defending it, you know, <laughs> defending the place that, you know, for all intents purposes, my, my ancestors built, you know, it's just like, wow. And I'm now I'm preserving it. I'm here to save it. You, you know, that was just kind of like a deep feeling like, wow. Um, but doing it, you know, protecting this place, you know, it, it made me feel like, a real patriot, a real patriot, yeah, a true. real American. Um, and I, I, I emphasize the word real because some of these guys who think they're patriots because they put on a flag t-shirt. Like, that yeah. doesn't make you a patriot, man. You know, you know what? That's so, a great point. Um, That's a great point. I, I want to, cause I want to transition to that point. Um, but you had made a comment that I think it's just important to say here. You said uh, a war is made up of a hundred battles. We were all in the war, but we all had different battles. A lot of us black officers fought a different battle than everybody else fought. I just want to talk. That's very profound. And, uh, you know, I think we talked, I think we've kind of explored what that meant. You know, I think the white officers maybe had to have fights, but they've never been called. They probably weren't called something so deeply cutting. Right. I mean, to be called a pig as a cop, you probably get used to to be called the N word as a cop. You probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that, I don't even remember where I heard that quote. Like I said, I Google a lot. I watch mm-hmm. a lot of shows. I love Jeopardy, trivia, <laughs> stuff like that. So, you know, I pay attention to, I like to learn. But I do know that, like I said, and that, and that real quick, just to go off on a little sure. slide note, that uh, if you ask 100 different officers that day to tell us your story about January 6th, you'll get 100 different stories. Like I said, nobody fought the exact same thing, but... The black officers battle, I think, was a little different Um, because, like I said, there was that racial element there. And those words, I'm telling you, those words hurt like they like if somebody could think of like what's the most hurtful thing that somebody could say to you? Like, you know, I couldn't guess it, you know, but like I said, I've never been called the N word in uniform. Yeah. Out of uniform. Yeah, sure. It has been. But um but it's just different. Like it was just different because it meant to hurt you, bring you down. Like it was, it was different. Than it's all dehumanizing. The other it was, yeah, 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 yeah. It was really different. And it was, it was really hurtful. Um, it, it, it worked in the long run, but I, we got him out the building, you know, but, uh, <laughs> well, um, and, and I think that's, what's important is, is that people understand, you know, the impact that this has had on officers in the long term. Ask me, like, one of the things I want to know is, first off, how is the, how would you put the kind of health, morale, welfare of the force right now? And then obviously we, there've been a few officers to take their own lives since that day. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I, I just think in general, um, police officers have that, the type of personality where we have to be okay. And, you know, nothing's ever wrong. You ask them how you're doing. Yep. I'm good. I'm good. And they could be going through hell and they would never sit there and tell you about it. Um, and I kind of think that's where it is. A lot of people, just, and this is just my opinion and just me reading the room. 
Um, I think that people are trying to put it behind them. And a lot of people have, um, I believe in like seeking therapy, seeking counseling, seeking help, um, because I don't want to suppress it. I want to learn how to live with it and also, you know, how to live through it and not just put it, suppress it. And then one day it's going to show up and, you know, cause I, I believe that it will, maybe it won't, but like I said, I'm no healthcare or no psychologist, but I just believe that if you suppress it one day, it's going to come up. Um, and I want to be prepared to deal with it. Uh, the, the officers that committed suicide, I, I, nobody really knows what they were experiencing. Nobody knows what they went through. Um, and it's really unfortunate that, that they felt that they had to do it, whatever they were feeling, um, it, it's, it overcame them. And I just pray that no other officer or any person has to endure that where they don't think they, they think that this is the only way to get away with, to, to get away from this. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. There's always help. And, um, you know, you know, and it's, it's yeah. interesting to me because I think, the police force is probably about 10 years behind the military on this. You know, there is probably mm-hmm. as many or more mental health concerns in the police force because in the military, we go to war, you're at a war for a finite period of time. You come home, you know, your job may not be directly with, with officers. It's like almost daily, even if you don't see anything, even no matter what you're doing, you're at that risk. And I yeah. think for, for, for the police force to come to that, is going to be probably the next front in mental health. The, the military's made huge strides. When I was in off, when I was in pilot training back in 2004, I remember a major who was a Marine fighter pilot that was training us. Uh, he took his own life, and everybody was blown away, like shocked. How how can he's a major, right? He's a Marine, and uh, and obviously as times gone on we understand that more and i think it's i think the police force is is behind where the military is but needs to rapidly catch up on that yeah um and and it's it's interesting as you say that because y'all you're there for a finite period of time and then you come home and then you like just to put it clear for everybody officers we went back to work on january 7th yeah you know and you know i was just talking to some people people were asking like well what was it like the next few days I don't even really remember a lot of it because you were just going through the motions. And like I said, thank God we had, uh, you know, National Guard support. We had other off- outside agencies. We had a fence up because, um, like, literally a lot of people, myself included, was just going through the motions. And, uh, you know, Lord forbid we had to take some police action directly after that. Like, how would that have turned out? I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it- it's tough. And I just... And that's one of the things that I asked the uh, the January 6th committee to look at, the, you know, the mental health resources that have been available to the department and determine if that's adequate or not. And, yeah. you know, if it's not, then, you know, let's continue to um, catch up to the military, like you just said, you know, because we're, I guess, like I said, I can't, I can't relate to the military, but, you know, I, I have seen the strides that they do talk about the PTSD and, you know, that, that stuff exists with police officers and, uh, we we need to make sure that we're taking care of the people that take care of the country and the world and democracy and stuff like that. So Yeah. It's amazing too. You know, the Capitol police force, people don't think about them until they think about them until they need to. And you know, the, I mean, there was a guy, 
uh, officer was stabbed to death recently, you know, at the, at the Senate checkpoint. I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon, unfortunately, attacks on Capitol police and, uh, and you know, whether you see it or not, you live with that knowledge every day. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it, and that's funny, like uh, January 5th, how many people really knew that Capitol Police existed, right. you know, and that, and that's fine. You know, yeah. that, you know, that's fine. We do we do our job not for recognition. You know, no, nobody's really a police officer because they want to be, you know, acknowledged by everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you do your job because you believe in protecting and serving and doing the right thing. Like police officers are there to protect and serve, you know protect serve and enforce enforce isn't on police cars where it says protect and serve it just says protect and serve so you're there to serve the community and protect them they should feel safe and comfortable with you there not um not intimidated nervous and scared so you know it's one of my biggest annoyances is when people call it the capitol hill police it's the capitol police ladies and gentlemen don't say capitol hill police nothing wrong with capitol hill police it's just not what they are um yeah let me ask you to kind of wrap it up and I appreciate you spending time with us. And I think it's a really important conversation, but you know, when you were there going through what you went through, you went through the insults. I don't know if you saw it at the time, but you certainly know now that somebody walked around the Capitol with a Confederate flag, you yeah. know, Fanon uh, was beat with a blue lives matter flag. And this comes to when you were talking about genuine patriotism, right? Right now yeah. I'm even scared to say the word Patriot now because Unfortunately, that day has made patriot mean somebody that attacks the Capitol, you know, and that's, by the way, a term we have to take back because patriot means somebody that truly loves their country, believes in the republic, believes in democracy. But I I think that shows I want to kind of ask you as we wrap up to, you know, any closing thoughts you have, but specifically about what is it like to see the Confederate flag that has never flown in the Capitol uh, in there that day? What was it like to see? that blue lives matter flag that, you know, I have a blue lives matter flag sticker on my car and, but it's been kind of perverted by some, what what are your thoughts on that? It's kind of weird, man, because I believe that all of these things, the Confederate flags and, you know, blue lives matter. Like I got, well, I guess, I I, I guess it's the technically the thin blue line, right? Because the blue lives matter flags. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I own some of those things myself um, with Blue Lives Matter stuff, not the other Confederate is. Right. Like but um, <laughs> Hope not. It's, it's weird because I feel like these people that, that proudly display those things, um, two things. One, they have no clue what it means. Um, and two, what they think that it means, they've, be, they've been emboldened and and empowered to display and openly say these things because they found a couple of other like-minded people um, that are ignorant about it as well. And like, it's just kind of like idiots unite kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And then you got a whole bunch of people now with this movement going and now we're giving, uh, um, we're paying attention to them now. So I, I think we need to continue to use the word patriot the way it's intended, what it means. Um, heroes, uh, country first type people, you know, it, it's important to uh, to continue to stomp out, push back against the false narratives and 
you know, basically the blatant lies, it's very important. Like people that fight for this country um, and what, what the actual constitution says and people that fight for democracy, not that seek to overturn it when it didn't go their way. Those are the people that are patriots, the people that actually fight for it. So. Amen to that. As we close, what's, what would be, you know, let's say you're 85 years old, you got some dementia, right? But you remember one thing from that day. What is the mental picture of January 6th in your mind that you think you'll never forget? A specific picture. Hmm. Or a moment, I guess. I, I just, honestly, you know, I, I, I remember talking to a couple people, just like my friends afterwards. And what's very profound about that night, man, is that every single member of Congress went back that night to certify the election. So democracy went on as ugly as it was and as in shambles as the building was, democracy went on. And that's what you got to remember that's why I took, because like, I, I believe in it. And that's what we as officers do. We fought to protect democracy. Like I said, a person held a seat, but we fought for that seat, that not that person. We're protecting that seat, that office. That's what our job is. So, and I think that's so profound that night that it democracy is. went on even in the midnight hour. So. It's funny because I, I now appreciate that. And I've, I've given some interviews, I think, where I've, you know, made that point. But the other day I was talking to somebody and, you know, they were asking me something like, what did you feel when you were walking to the, to vote? You know, when you guys were back in session, did you feel that democracy? I go, no, if I'm being honest, I was pissed because I had just watched Matt Gates speak on the floor and say it was Antifa. So I went down there and gave my speech where I said, at the end, the emperor has no clothes. And I go, you know, it was probably not till maybe a week later when I when I kind of understood the profoundness of, you know, that we went back that day because I was just angry. But listen, man, uh, you know, you and I have become friends. I hope to even become better friends. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Our audience, you know, you're the exact kind of uh, person with the story that we need to hear. And I just thank you for speaking out. I thank you for speaking in front of the committee. And uh, thank you for being here with us. It means a lot. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, real quick, I just wanted to touch on that. Um, the people that said that it was Antifa, mm -hmm. uh, it was Black Lives Matter, it was Nancy Pelosi who failed to act. If that is the case, investigate it and hold them accountable. I don't care who it was. I don't care. But... I am assuming they don't want to do that because they don't want, they could continue to spew their narrative and, and have it not proven. Um, yep. So that's why they don't want to do that. Um, you're, yeah. you're so right, my man. <laughs> so right. But if it was Antifa, if it was BLM, if it was Nancy Pelosi, hold them all accountable. Well, they should have probably voted for the commission then. If that's, if they believe that, but they <laughs> don't believe some of the stuff that they say. That's right. I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> well, Officer Dunn, thanks for spending some time with us. I think people will find this extremely uh, useful. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your service. We'll see you when I'm back in D.C. All right, man. Take care. You bet. This has been a Country First conversation with Adam Kinzinger and our guest, United States Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. The Country First team wants to hear from you. 
Please be sure to share in the comments or send us a note at infocountryfirst.com to share your experiences with conspiracy theories or what you think you can do to break through and spread truth. And be sure to visit countryfirst.com for our other podcast conversations and be sure to subscribe to receive all the latest updates.